0: So good guys. Thank you. When Lauren said, uh, this is the kids church too. that kind of makes me nervous. Huh? All the inmates run the asylum around here, but uh, we do uh, love them. When I was uh, 12 years old, uh, my pastor, let me take up the offering. And then he would call on me to pray in front of the church. And that was just such a blessing. I haven't talked about that much, but I look back when Asher, when you prayed today, and it just made me think about how important it is. What a great job. You wrote out that prayer. It came from your heart and I love when he uh, called us, when he prayed and called us to pray that God would show us what matters most. That is our series of this today, next Sunday and Christmas Eve. We're going to, I want to help you to focus on what really does matter most. And we'll come back around that uh, at the end of this thing. If you have a Bible, by the way, welcome everybody at home that's tuning in. Those w- that will watch or listen later. We're so glad to have you during these crazy times. Luke chapter one is where we'll be today. All the verses that we talk about from Luke today will be on the screen but if you have a Bible brought one it'd be a great day to have it and open it if you didn't again it's on the screen if you're home it'd be an awesome time for you to look at the scripture today with us as we look at not the Christmas story per se it's really the story before the Christmas story it's the the story that leads up to the Christmas story we'll be in Luke 1 today next week uh, Luke 2 on Christmas Eve as well, should be, should be good. Well, there's some famous Lukes. Hollywood has has given us uh, Luke Wilson and Luke Perry. Uh, rest in peace, y'all. Remember Luke Perry, Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Country music, of course, has given us some Lukes. There's the hunky Luke Bryan. And then uh, Luke Combs, not so hunky, but he's hot in a different way, hottest artist of 2020, they said. True story, bragging on our neighborhood here in Fondren, six years ago, six-ish years ago, I was walking from Fondren Corner to Fondren Church to my office and heard some music coming out of Dueling Hall, and I'm like, that's some good music. We were looking for a worship leader at the time, I thought, I'm going in there to see who that is, see if I can hire him. It just sounded good. It was Luke Combs doing a sound check. And I was like, who is this guy? I didn't know, but I, I remember walking out of there going, we're all about to know who that guy is. Uh, Luke Combs, Luke Bryan. There's, Hollywood's also given us, besides Luke Wilson and Luke Perry, they've given us the fictitional uh, cool hand Luke. And then, of course, I think most famously, Luke Skywalker. But of all the Lukes, the most famous or the most, I would say the most important, the most favored to me is a first century physician named Luke who was a doctor? Doctors were different uh, back then. It was a, a, a lot of herbal remedies and non-traditional therapies that happened then. But Luke himself was a physician. He deeply cared for the sick. You can see that as he describes Jesus as what the great physician. As he walks through and gives us very personal stories. I think I've taught you this before, but we—it's a bit erroneous to say the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel—it's all the Gospel of Jesus. But to be factually correct, we would say that. The gospel according to. And so the gospel according to Matthew gives us Jesus as king, the king of the Jews. The gospel according to Mark gives us Jesus as servant, the one who would come and give his life as a ransom for many. The gospel according to John gives us Jesus in his divinity, uh, the word that became flesh, the light that penetrated the darkness, the, the darkness will not overcome this light. It gives us the divinity of Jesus. John in his old age talks about the life of Jesus. I I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. You are the branches. I'm the light of the world. Uh, You are called also to be the light of the world. That's the gospel according to John. And Luke, Luke seems to be one who marveled. I love being around people who marvel. Don't you love that? I, I was in my office and I saw, I guess it was left over from the foster care Christmas party. A leftover, it was a, a lava building toy. And I thought, I just laughed to myself. I thought, man, that, that's going to make a kid happy and going to make parents really frustrated. A lava producing kid, a volcano kid. Listen, the older we get, there's something that happens. Things that used to be magical become mundane and we lose our wonder. But in Luke, Luke, who is a physician, Luke, who loves facts, Luke, who gives us an orderly account, those are his words. I'm going to give you a factual, orderly account geographically chronologically of Jesus but we see Luke marveling marveling that God was so moved by love for mankind that he would come and that he would be one of us and so such personal stories we get in the gospel according to Luke so if you're there Luke chapter one let's read it together Luke one we'll read verse 26 to 38 y'all ready for this In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That's how y'all talk. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, Wouldn't you be? And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30, here's our verse. from her. It sounds kind of tidy at the end, but don't let that fool you. We have a vision of Christmas. We do a lot to perpetuate it. We have this vision of Christmas that it is a, a nativity scene at grandma's house. It's a scene of tranquility. It's a scene sort of like Chip and Joanna Gaines farmhouse. And there's a horse that's making a bed for baby Jesus. And there's a dog that's bringing a bottle of water to baby Jesus. And Joseph and Mary are out beneath a canopy of stars on a dark night. And there's like a shooting star that goes across the, the night sky. And listen, that was not the first Christmas. If you're a note taker, you could start here. And you could say that the first Christmas was filled with fear and chaos. Don't miss that today. The first Christmas was filled with fear and chaos. So here's where we're going in the brief time that we have today. We're basically we're going back to, in order to move forward. Because many times the way forward is to go back. It's to be restored. And so when this angel named Gabriel visits a region of Galilee in a town called Nazareth to a virgin named Mary, who was the fiancé of Joseph, who was from the tribe of David... What happened then resonates with us now. The first Christmas was not grandma's nativity scene. The first Christmas was filled with fear and uncertainty. Borrowing from a couple of my favorite writers, uh, Max Lucado, I want to give you a couple of definitions of fear for you to think about. Not a, a strict clinical definition of fear, not going there today, but just a thought about fear that I hope could penetrate perhaps where you are today. The first thought is this fear from the writer Max Lucado. He says, fear is like a mean bully in the middle school hallway that makes you stop and turn the other way. One more time, Max Lucado. Fear is like the mean bully in the middle school hallway that makes you stop and turn and go the other way. Today, we have public service announcements about bullying. I hope you guys don't bully. I hope you guys get help when you are bullied and try to work it out peacefully. When I was young, there was no public service announcements, but I know there was bullying. Have you been bullied? Have you been on that end of things? It's common. It seems like it's once every four to six weeks, certainly once a semester where we're talking to parents, friends of ours, dear people, better parents than us, but they're transferring a kid from one school to another because of a bully. And fear can be that way for you. It can be the mean bully in the hallway of your life that makes you stop and turn And go the other way. Another definition of fear. It can be a manipulative emotion that can trick you into a boring life. Fear can be a manipulative emotion that can trick you into a boring life. Fear can do that. Fear can turn away a dream that you have. Fear can make you, and it's easy to justify. We had a friend come over and, and talk to us. I remember a few years back, and this friend, a dear young lady, beginning to grow in Christ, but she was honest and vulnerable with us. And listen, I can relate. I've been riddled with fears in my life. But she told her story about fear having a very active part in her life from when she was young fear of heights fear of crowds fear of enclosed spaces fear of big crowds and small talk small talk in big crowds fear after fear after her multitude of fears and what I got concerned about in talking to our friend is she seemed to be reading plenty of the modern Christian pop psychology books that tell you that everything is okay and you're okay and it's listen wait for it it's just the way you are that's just the way you are. And so what can happen is that can be a manipulated emotion. It can You can be manipulated to think, well, that's what Jesus, that's how he wants me to live. I am who I am. And you can take all the modern science and psychology, which we should learn from about fear, and you can take the ancient wisdom and see how in some ways it's just hand in glove and there's there's a consensus of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom for us. But if it's some, if you sum up where Jesus at is at when it comes to fear, it's pretty simple. Two words, fear not. Three words, do not be afraid. And when God, Jesus, or an angel showed up, they said those words many, many times. So be careful just thinking, I am the way I am. You could, you're not running scared necessarily, but you could be tricked, manipulated by an emotion. That lays hold of you and you can be tricked into living a boring life. When this angel visited this young woman, Mary, what she experienced and what we see in the Christmas story, not grandma's nativity scene, but filled with fear and chaos. We see fears that you and I can have today. What are your fears? Can you identify them for a moment? let's talk about them because you've heard me teach this before or you came today you already knew it you tuned in today and you already know this but it's the most common command in the bible is not to do this not to do this and doesn't it seem a little a little rude a little too much when someone shows up and says don't be afraid it'd be cool if you're just sitting in a hammock on a beautiful spring day, sipping a a Mountain Dew and eating a moon pie with no care in the world. And somebody said, don't be afraid. I'm like, cool, I'm with you. But when you're in the middle of something that is reason for fear, listen to me, possibly the worst thing that somebody could tell you when you're afraid is don't be afraid. In fact, don't fact check me on this. I just know I'm right. But never in the history of fear has anybody who has been afraid, not been afraid suddenly because someone told them to not be afraid. That's just never happened. It just, it doesn't happen. But we got to give God and Jesus and the angels that are messengers of God and Jesus, we got to give them props. We got to give them an invitation to be able to tell us that. But so long ago, think about it. Your fears, you know what they are. But your fears can connect to the Christmas fears of Mary and Joseph. Think about it. They experience Three of the most common fears that are in our day and they're in us and that are hard to admit. The fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and wait for it, the fear of not being enough. A counselor, a friend of mine who's doing really well and has a team of people, he tells me that every time someone sits down with them at any level, that what they're ultimately going to be talking about is, I don't feel blank enough. And I would say that whether you're here in God's house or at your house today, watching or listening, that you've got something where you could say, I'm not blank enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not bright enough. I'm not capable enough. I don't have what it takes. I'm not enough. And that is a voice of condemnation. It's a voice of condemnation that I don't need modern counselors to tell me that. I can read Romans 8, one of the great chapters of all the Bible that tells us there is therefore no more condemnation. Christ comes to replace that. And let me say this, quoting from a, a pastor that I admire, the goal, you, the goal is not to be fearless. You will not be fearless. But the goal is to fear less. So what's your battle? Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. They all could be related. Fear of not being enough, not being blank enough. And Mary and Joseph, they themselves walked this road that we walk today. Think about it. They What did they have going against them? They were, they were young. They were starting out. There's a reason that Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. Because young people can be discriminated against old people can too i'm starting to learn that but young people they were young and they were starting out it's hard to start out it's, it, it's hard to start out. And they were starting out with not much. It's hard to start out when you start out with not much. And then just to give you the history and context of the culture, what was happening, it was 400 years of silence. God had not spoken through any prophets. God had not demonstrated himself other than the ancient text and the, 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 the nature and creation. But God had not spoken. And there were, there were silence. When are you coming? When will the Messiah come? And then abruptly, out of nowhere. Think of the fear. Think of uh, being a teenage girl being pregnant out of wedlock in first century Palestine. Think of the violation of social norms. Think about what that would do for you. Think about what it did just in what we read with Joseph and Mary. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary but not to Joseph yet. And so Mary tells Joseph and Joseph ain't buying it. And then the angel appears to Joseph and Joseph goes back to Mary and says, okay, now I believe you, which was Joseph's first apology in a string of a whole lot of apologies in married life, right men? And the fear of this, the fear of teenage pregnancy, out of wedlock, domestic discord. They were having to define the relationship. With each other, with these mysterious beings, the angels, their own relationship with God, their relationship with their faith community, with their family, there was a lot going. The fear of, will I be rejected? How's this going to work out? And don't be fooled by verse 38, the last verse we read in this unfolding story, that Mary just got it, accepted it, and understood it. She was trembling, and wouldn't you be? Abruptly, out of nowhere, God shows up, and God speaks. And oh, by the way, you'll be the mother of the Messiah. No pressure there. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of not being enough. An angel named Gabriel showing up in a a village called Galilee in a town of Nazareth to a virgin named Mary engaged to Joseph from the tribe of David was very historical. It was very Jewish. It was a time and it was a place. But it can connect to us today with our fear. Here's what Jesus would strangely Say, bewildering bewilderingly say in Luke 12 4. if your Bible's open you can flip there if not look on the screen here's what he would say I bet you've heard this Luke 12 4. I tell you my friends do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than that than they can do <sighs> is that funny to anybody like funny not funny my friends don't fear those who kill the body after that they have nothing more than think I mean what else is there the kill the body. But what would he go on to say? He would go on to say, fear him who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. So there is a choice that we're going to have to make in this life when it comes to the fear of failure, fear of rejection particularly, and the fear of not being enough. When it comes to fear, you'll never be fearless, but you can fear less. And the To understand the proper nature of it, it's why I want to orient my heart to worship. It's why we call you to a Sabbath. It's why we invite you to a life of silence and solitude, of confession and repentance, to orient your heart and mind, to nourish your mind with God-filling thoughts, to think on the things, as Philippians 4 says, that's worthy and noble and virtuous of good report that leads to life. And so much, have you seen, notice this on social media and media is not virtual, virtuous or good. It's virtual. It's not virtuous or good or noble or lovely or of good report. It's, it doesn't give life at all. It, takes life but to learn to worship and to say hey I, jesus and he gives us a choice we can fear those who can or we can fear the one who will those who can versus the one who will and i'm a good bit older than a lot of you we are decidedly a younger church but can i tell you if you're living for those who can you you're, you're set up for a miserable existence the invitation at Christmas of what matters most is to live for the one who will, the one who is able, the one who is able to do all that we ask, to do all that we imagine, to, to do immeasurably more all that we can ask or imagine. That one, fear him, have a healthy fear of God. Psalm 56, the Lord is my rock and my refuge. In other words, I count on him. I go with him. He's steadfast. I look to him. I fear him. And to fear him and to fear him alone is the answer for us. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body. Have a fear, a reverential, awesome, worshipful fear of the one who's able to kill both body and soul in hell. You won't be fearless, but you can fear less. So how do you get there? I want want us to Toss this word aside and look at the other word. You remember a few moments ago, I pointed you to Luke 1.30. And that's the verse that talks about, do not fear. He'll say that a few more times. Do not fear, Mary, for you have found the favor of God. Luke's going to talk a lot about finding and being found and what we need to find. And he would give Jesus uh, three stories in Luke 15 later, 15 chapters from now about uh, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son and that's an emotional one isn't it but you have found favor you have found favor now let me ask you what comes to mind when you think that someone has found favor only one person in the history of the world and there will only be one was called to be the mother of the messiah you won't fill that role nobody will but God's called you to things. And what would it look like to have the favor of God? I want to tell you what favor is. The favor of God is. And I want to tell you what the favor of God is not. But let's first consider what it's not. The favor of God is not elitism. It's not elitism. Now, when we think someone has the favor of God on their lives, we're thinking, you know, there's that verse that says, touch not thy anointed. It's like, oh, that man. It's usually a man. That man is really special. In this case, in so the Christmas story, it's a woman. But it's usually someone—a man—or that's, oh, they have—they're anointed, and they, God has called them out into something really special. I'm not mocking that idea, but I just think there's a lot of misconceptions about having the favor of God on your life. And I just don't want it to be mystical to anyone who's open to this invitation of God putting the favor of His character, His name, His nature on your life, in your life. The favor of God is not elitism. Back up just a moment to Genesis chapter 9, to Noah. Noah planted a vineyard in Genesis 9, and with this vineyard he got drunk, and with his drunkenness he became naked. And in his drunken nakedness he was discovered by his oldest son Ham who went and told the other brothers of their father's status. And when he wakes up, it gets really bad. And Noah, not that it's not bad already, but he wakes up and after his drunkenness and his nakedness, you feeling better about your family now? He, he, he curses. He curses Ham and he curses the other sons, the brothers of Ham. H-A-M. That's how it's spelled. He curses them. Now stay with me. In ancient times, cursing was a big deal. In, in ancient times, being cursed by your father, Would haunt you. It would hang over you like a dark cloud. It was a very devastating thing. Because you see, to be cursed by a father back then, it was to not have God's valid, not have your father's validation, to not have your father's blessing, to not have your father's favor. And it stayed and stayed with you. Y'all know a few weeks ago. I think we've done it a few times. I don't know where Lauren's at. She's in an overflow room. But hey, we sing bless. You know the blessing song and your children and their children and their children. But consider the story of the Bible. I t- I'm telling you, it's the best reality TV show out there. And in the story of this, there's this curse. And the curse is allowed to fester. And it's not just angry words. It's a wound. And Ham... Passes it on to a son Canaan, and Canaan passes it on to a son spelled S-I-D-O-N, Sidon. And you'll read in the Gospel of Luke and other places about Tyre and Sidon, T-Y-R-E. Stay with me, and Sidon, S-I-D-O-N. And the curse, the wound that lingers, spreads. Have you noticed that? Every wound that lingers, it spreads. And it gets passed from generation to generation. Not the blessing, not the children and their children and their children, but the curse spreads. And this is one of the great reasons why the Bible resonates today. Let me ask you right now. Have you ever been to a movie? I guess we don't do that anymore. Have you ever seen a movie where the central character has unresolved issues with their father? Of course you have. Of course you have. And that's what we see In this story, we see a people cursed. And so in the Bible, the sidonites they're talked about in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos and Judges. And many, many times they're mentioned. And they would do battle with the Israelites. So when Jesus comes, there's this tribal culture. It's an elitist culture. It's who's in and it's who's not. And so here's where we're going We have God's favor, but you don't. We're in, but you're out. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to learn from the Christmas story for the baby born as the Savior of the world, as the light of the world, who calls us to join Him in being the light of the world, we need to know. We need to have God's favor. We need to desire the favor of God in our lives. It's what matters most. But we need to understand that God's favor on our lives is not Elitism. So look with me at this next passage in Luke. It, this is Jesus, and here's what he says. Luke 6, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and, here we go, and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Luke 10, another passage here. Jesus would go on to say something crazy, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. You ever heard of these guys? We've heard of the Samaritans, right? But how about these guys? Have you heard about them? Did you know about them? Jesus is saying, It's not where you're from, it's not what has happened. Well, there's nation against nation. Think about this, a nation went to war with a nation all because it started with a father cursing his son. And it the wound lingered and it festered and it spread because it always does. And isn't it amazing? It's why the Bible, I'll say it again, it's why the Bible resonates so much today because we're, listen to me, we're still telling the same stories and we're still trying to overcome the same pain today. Hey, Jesus, do you want us to love our enemies? They were slow to understand him. Are you? I am. Hey, Jesus, do you want us to go after them? Do you want us to kill them? No. No, I want you to love your enemies. Jesus, hey, do you want us to pass judgment on those who aren't with us? Do you want us to call down fire, Luke would tell later? Do you want us to do that? No. Jesus had this way, hear me now, Jesus had this way, he quickly and decisively included those who had been excluded. So we have to be careful. If you have the favor of God on your life, don't be a diva. It's not elitism. It's an openness. Are you today open and receptive to the new work that God wants to do, even in the lives of people who aren't like you? So, the favor of God is not elitism. Secondly, it's not favoritism. The half-brother of Jesus would say in James chapter 2, in verse 1 through 4, he would say, brothers and sisters of our glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a good introduction to that chapter. Hey, we're brothers and sisters. We're family, and we have a Heavenly Father. We have a glorious Lord Jesus. I think he's wanting us to know that the glory ain't in you. It's not your glory. It's God's glory. It, it's us laying down our lives for him. But he says, when uh, someone comes into your worship assembly, The gathering of the church is very important. We postpone and we stop and we alter and modify during a pandemic. But let me tell you, God's heart is for the church to gather and be close to each other. Handshakes and hugs. And for people, there's no Jew or Greek or slave or freed or male or female. We're one in Christ Jesus. And when we gather, we act like it. And when someone walks in the door, listen, they feel it. You can't feel much at home, but you can feel it when you come in the door. And I long to get back to that, to those days again. Help us be a part of that, not just to restore and recover, but to move forward and to be that type of church. And James says, Hey, the favor of God is not favoritism. In fact, he's pretty clear. Don't show favoritism. If a man walks in, he says in James 2, 1 through 4, and he has on a gold ring and fine clothes. And you say to him, sit right there. But a poor man comes in in filthy clothes and you Say to him, stand back there or sit at so-and-so's feet. You are showing favoritism. And that's not the favor of God. If God is blessing you, if you feel the rich abundance of his life in many ways or in specific ways, enjoy the favor of God. But do not let it turn into elitism or favoritism. Let us extend ourselves out. Amazing. I was thinking this morning in prayer when James says, hey, poor man in filthy clothes, you go stand over there or sit at so-and-so's feet. I think his, half, his half-brother Jesus would sit and stoop and wash feet. No dignity in that. And that's the call of somebody that has favor on their lives. They're willing to stoop low. Luke, my favorite of all Luke's, would say in Luke 18, he would tell this story. And he told this story, I bet a lot of you've heard it, about two men who go to the temple to pray. I know a couple of folks who are going through something very, very gut-wrenchingly difficult. And I've noticed them come here during the day and pray. I text one of them. He didn't know I was around. I walked in. He didn't hear me. He was sitting here focused. So I went up to snoop on him a little bit, but I went to that security window there and looked out, and he was here a long time. I would check on him, and each time I walked to look through that window, I would pray for him because I know I know the pain and the uncertainty that he's that he's going through. And Jesus says two men went to the temple. And one was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. And the Pharisee went and it says that he said, thank you, God. That I, Jesus, he just gets right to it. No nuance, no subtlety. He just says, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. I'm not like the evildoers and the robbers and the adulterers. I give I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. Isn't that what judgmental people do? Isn't that what people who think they've got God's favor on their lives in the wrong way? Isn't that what we do? We What do we do? We talk about the worst in other people, and then we mention our best traits. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income, but they are robbers and evildoers and adulterers. But then Jesus, in his story that the good Dr. Luke tells us in the 18th chapter, he says that the tax collector, the one that wasn't esteemed in Jewish culture, that he went in, and it says he stood at a distance, and he was not able to look up to heaven. So give me a second, whoever needs to hear it today. Sometimes that's the prayer. That's the prayer that you get the breakthrough. Sometimes that's the prayer that's really heard. Sometimes that's the catalyst for God doing a work, even if it's not the work you want him to do. But when you stand at a distance and you don't feel worthy to look up to heaven. And it says, Luke says, this account of Jesus that he beat his breast. And he said, I am not worthy. Be merciful for I am not worthy. And some of you know how this famous story ends. It says that he went away justified. He went away with God's favor. He went away with the favor of God on his life. And Jesus ends the story in Luke chapter 18 by saying that the one who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. That makes me give serious thought and pause to the posture of my heart. Oh, I want God's favor. And now, here's what I love. I love that in Luke 18:1, before the story, Jesus tells us why he tells the story, and he says, "Jesus tells this story because some were convinced. Listen, Luke 18:1, some were convinced of their own righteousness and were looking down on everybody else. Is that clear enough for you in the English translation? Some were convinced of their own righteousness and were looking down on everybody else. That, my friend, is not the favor." of God. That'll produce more fear in your life. The fear of hiding, the fear of proving yourself, the fear of not coming clean, the fear of not dealing with the fears of rejection and failure and not being enough. All that will be magnified in your life. But to humble yourself, you will be exalted. If you're exalting yourself, you will be humbled. To be convinced of your own righteousness is to miss the favor of God in your life. The church is doing, in some ways, irreparable harm to itself as we look down on other people and we're convinced of our own righteousness. Let us not be a people who tell the world about our great traits and point at other people's worst traits. That is not the favor of God, the, the favor of God is not elitism, it's not favoritism, and lastly, it's not easy believism. I love this passage. It wasn't that long ago in Luke where I put this up here. Uh, Luke chapter 12, back there again, I think it is. He says, fear not, he's talking to his people, to his guys, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't you love that? Like, I, I want that. I want that relationship with Jesus. Uh, if you tell me to be afraid when there's reason to be afraid, that's going to insult me, it's not going to help me. But to listen to Jesus, to say, fear not, to be a part of his flock, to know him as the shepherd. And isn't that just a great promise for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's not easy believism. If you stopped at Luke 12, 32, and you didn't read verse 33 and follow, you'd think, "Ah, oh, easy believism. I'm part of the little flock. He's giving me the kingdom. Ah, oh, If somebody gives you the keys to the kingdom, you can kind of kick back. That's our idea of having favor with somebody. We do that in earthly In the earthly sphere if someone's got favor then they they've got access they can go to the green room they've got someone to fan them and give them grapes they've got a driver waiting for them outside all yours is the kingdom of heaven but what does jesus say right after this he says sell some of your possessions and give to the poor Uh uh-oh he says what we said last week give of the treasure for when you give your treasure will lead your heart Divest yourself, invest yourself, think about kingdom purposes. I've given you, little flock, the keys to the kingdom. Don't fear, but there's, there's work to be done. How many of you know there's work to be done? How many of you know that we're in a spiritual fight? How many of you know that there's a battle raging out there? And Jesus is saying, little flock, don't fear. Plenty of reason to fear. Here's the kingdom. But it's not easy believism. I read it this week. I had to jot it down, and I want to pass it on to you uh, this morning. Somebody said that we all must ask, what must I do to be saved? What would it look like to have God's favor? What must I do to be saved? Everyone should ask, what must I do to be saved? And then we should ask, what must I do because I'm saved? I've got God's favor on my life. How do I now live? So everyone should ask, what must I do to be saved? And then we ask, what must I do because I'm saved? But we should never ask, what can I do since I'm saved? What can I get away with? Because life in the kingdom... Having the favor of God bears with it a great joy and freedom because when you have God's favor on your life, I just want to preach this today in the midst of my flaws and my sins, I want to tell you when God's favor is on your life, you are not problem-free. I got plenty of them. But you have forgiveness and you have freedom. You have forgiveness from whatever you've done in your past. You have freedom as you think about your future. That's what the favor of God is on your life. It's not, listen, it's not elitism. It's not favoritism. It's not easy believism. And if you're still with me now, I want to say to you that here's what it is. It's fighting, it's fighting this from victory, not for victory. Prepositions are a, a big thing. You ever thought about that? Little words often, but they're a big thing. If someone says, hey, dinner's on the table, that's probably a good thing. But if someone says dinner's under the table, that's not so great. If somebody said the the, the baby's in the car, that's that's probably good. But if someone said the baby's on the car, you gotta be careful. Prepositions, right? Just one word changes a meaning. The favor of God according to the kingdom of Jesus and the gospel of Luke emanating from the Christmas story is that we fight, we fight for victory. We fight, we fight God's favor from not for, and that is a big difference. Let me illustrate it this way. As we begin to close, as Lauren and the team come up to closes, uh, several years back, I was sort of late on the train of the, the Jason Bourne movies. Um, all the born movies you know the the sequels there and and uh there's born uh supremacy and born ultimatum and uh, all these uh these born movies and so I was late my friends had watched them I'm like I'm going to watch the 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 movies and so I did that one night and I remember this one scene. Some of you who saw it know, it was Matt Damon plays Jason Bourne. He's at this farmhouse with his girl and there is outside the bad guys are outside and they've got a high powered rifle and they've got they've got it locked on a highly trained assassin with a high powered rifle is right there with it focused on the door and Matt Damon as Jason Bourne goes to the door. And I'm like, you know, the music's playing. Y'all know, y'all know how Hollywood does this, right? Fear, fear, fear. And the music's playing. And there's this, this creepy scene where the birds fly. And you're like, <gasps> you know, I'm gripping the couch. You know, just, I'm just like, you know, no, I'm talking to Matt Damon like, a, like he's a friend. Like I grew up in Boston with him. You know, I'm like, no, don't go, don't go to the door. They're, they're a highly trained assassin. High-powered rifle waiting on you. And, the, you know, the, the, uh, again, elevated the music and the mood and the birds and all this. And then it, I just thought, you know, there's, I was watching the first one. There's a There's a sequel. They're they're right over there on top of my dresser drawer, like right there. And it occurred to me, hey, uh, this is going to end good. I know how this ends. You see, there's a world of difference in fighting for something and fighting from something. And that takes us to the Christmas story. Hear me now, no matter how your mom and daddy or grandparents or whatever teacher, coach, or influencer, mentor in your life taught you, you don't have to work to earn God's favor. You don't fight for His favor. You don't even have to fight for victory. You and I, in Christ, fight from it. We fight from it. We know how it ends. So imagine, I don't have time to do this, but imagine that I were to take that poster board and the word that said fear, and I would write, or the word, the board that says favor, and I would write fear in small print below that favor. That could be us. That could be you. Where God's favor can override your fear. The Christmas story is not the nativity scene at grandma's house. It is filled with fear chaos, Would you stand and let me pray over you. Our Father, whether it is today the fear of failure or rejection or not being enough. Would you minister to us today? And if anybody's given up, if anybody just thinks, Oh, you know, it's just be who you are. This is the way you are. I'm afraid of this and this and this and this and this and this. Lord, would you bring us back to this Christmas story, this message. When you show up, you say, don't be afraid. And I pray that you would minister to us as fear is wreaking havoc. And we are not immune and nobody who cracked the book today and nobody... Who seeks to follow jesus or who's interested in following jesus or fervently follows jesus can point to any passage in the bible any of his teaching that tells us that life will be easy and problem free and in the middle of so much to be afraid of would you help us to experience the blessing of your favor Lord? would you let your favor fall on our church would you let your favor fall on the folks at home would you let your favor fall on the folks here that we would know your forgiveness and know the freedom that we find as we look to the future. God, I thank you that you've called us to fight a fight, to be in a battle, but we're not fighting for it. We're fighting from it. The acceptance and love and favor that you give in Christ. This matters most. Amen.